Thanks for checking out this video. My name's Kiara, and I hope you enjoy this message from Redemption Church. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Good morning. So we're in a series entitled Redeemed, What Happens After Redemption. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, In him... Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Redemption was secured through the payments of Christ, his life on the cross. Redemption without resurrection, that was powerless. Christ was physically, actually, literally resurrected, giving us the power over sin. Redemption and resurrection, these two working together to secure our salvation. But what happens after we experience redemption? Well, we get to respond to God's love and grace. And after we respond, we begin to resemble him. Or as we said last week in Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before and that we should walk in them. Paul uses this metaphor to walk a lot in the book of Ephesians. We were made for good works. Good works that are a response to our salvation, not a pathway to them. Last week, we talked about how our value is not in what we are, but whose we are, that we belong to Christ. We're not defined then by what we do, but by what Christ did on the cross. We've been made then, created by Jesus for good works, and we're to walk in those good works. In the early 2000s, there was a rap line that said, well, it probably still exists. You can tell by the way I walk, I ain't from around her. Probably can't tell because I ain't walking nowhere. I don't know what that means, but it's a good line. And I think what it means is you can tell by the way someone walks, apparently according to this rapper, I don't know who it was, where they're from. Well, you can tell by the way someone walks, at least you're supposed to be able to, walk being a metaphor for live, what they believe, whose they are. So this morning... We're going to look at how we're to walk as followers of Jesus, three ways in particular. I want to preface this morning by acknowledging that there is a difference for the Christian uh, in, in the way, not a difference, but uh, the way we address uh, an individual post-sin or pre-sin is different. Here's what I mean by that. Post-sin, all we have to offer is grace. All we have to offer is God's incredible love and forgiveness, that we stand afresh and anew in Christ. Pre, pre-sin, as a Christian, what do we do? We stand for the truth of the gospel. We point to Jesus and we say, this is the best way. And so if you find yourself here today, post-sin, all of us, I have nothing but grace and there's no judgment here because that's not ours. If you find yourself, like we all do, pre-sin, pre-whatever that next decision could be, well, let's hear the truth of the gospel this morning. Paul starts off like this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. As a child imitates his parent, we are to imitate God. The way we said it last week is that we're created anew in Christ Jesus so that we might reveal his nature, so that people might know what does God look like? Oh, he's as loving and as kind and as gracious and as patient as his children. We're to imitate God. Well, how do we do that? By walking in these ways. The first way, and Paul tells us that we're to walk, is we're to walk in love. 
And just in case we don't know what love is, he tells us, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Or as Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 13, that love is patient and kind, that it does not hold a grudge, that it is not selfish or boastful. We are to walk in love. The example, of course, given here, the ultimate example is Christ. Now, this is the baseline for everything that's going to come next. Paul's going to tell us how we ought to walk, but he's going to tell us first we must walk in love. He's going to get into, secondly, we're to walk in purity, and thirdly, uh, we're to walk in the light, but first we're to walk in love. As if to say, if you walk in purity and you walk in truth, that's the third one, if you walk in purity and truth, but you don't walk in love, you're incomplete. That to, uh, just to walk in love, though, or to say, oh, I, I walk in love, but not to walk in purity and truth is also incomplete. It is to walk in love, in purity, and in truth that the Christian does. And so first, though, he says, walk in love. To just walk around in purity and in truth, well, that can oftentimes lead to judgmentalism. Another tragic things uh, where people feel unloved, uncared for. But here Paul starts off with walk in love. After we conclude the thoughts on each one, I'm going to end um, with a question, a prayer of repentance, and a prayer of help. And so this first one is walk in love. So the question is this, is love the most pervasive attitude of your interactions with others? Would people describe you as a person of love? Coworkers, enemies, friends, your spouse. How about your fellow church members? Would the first word they use to describe you be loving? Is love the, the, the first thing that somebody would associate with you and in your interactions with them? The Christian, first and foremost, walks in love. So here's the repentance. God, I'm not walking in love towards my friends, towards enemies, towards my church family, towards my employees or coworkers, towards my spouse or children, towards strangers. That would be the prayer of repentance. Then the prayer would be this. Lord, forgive me and help me to walk in love towards all. This is where it starts. Walking in love. Perhaps there's a name, a face, a person right now that you know I am not walking in love towards that person. Maybe reconciliation is needed. Repentance, probably certainly. Change of behavior, probably. Walk in love. After this, after walking in love, Paul moves on. And he says this in verse 3, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. 
Second thing Paul says is walk in purity or walk away from sexual immorality. In another passage of scripture, he says, flee, flee from sexual immorality or walk in purity. Why? He says to nod is improper. He says it's out of place. He says it actually can reveal a, a, a lack of genuine conversion. Now, as I stated at the beginning, to those who have um, engaged in sexual sin or are engaged, could have been last night or this morning, upon repentance, there is nothing but grace. There is nothing but God's love. This verse is not an excuse to hate or shame or shun people who have fallen sexually. This verse is also not an excuse to feel pride over never having um, fallen sexually, never having looked at porn, or you waited till marriage, or uh, you've never been divorced, or, or whatever else it might be, and, and so you carry it with a badge of spiritual pride. This, too, is sinful. What is this verse? It's a verse to remind the Christian of the danger of sexual sin. Paul spends a whole chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 walking through. He actually gives a dozen different reasons on why it's harmful. Sermon for another day. Warning us of it, how it is damaging to God, the church, the kingdom, to yourself and to, to others. Paul uh, goes into some explanations here. He says, uh, avoid immorality, which would be uh, sexual conquests that are unbiblical. He says, avoid impurity, lustful thoughts, uh, pornography. Avoid covetousness, desiring, pursuing, or thinking about someone else's spouse or any attempt at developing intimacy with someone else's spouse or someone who isn't your spouse. He warns of all of these. He says, this is no place for the Christian. Not only does he say don't do it, he says don't even joke about it. He says even the presence of joking, of creating the culture, it's like Paul's predicting the modern day like woman's wine night or Fifty Shades of Grey or uh, the, the you know stereotypical guy's locker room talk. I don't even need to go through it because we know it. It's those moments when we lower our voice a little bit and go, I know I shouldn't say this, but Paul's saying, none of that, none of that has place for the Christian. Where you may be in sexual sin right now, whether it's a relationship that you know is inappropriate, a line that you know you've crossed, the conviction of the Holy Spirit that you've tried to turn down and to not listen to anymore, a consistent thought process that you have refused to take captive, uh, consistent uh, sinful viewing of lustful images or pornography. By the way, let's not use words that try to shirk our responsibility for our own sin. In other words, we don't get to label something, ah, it's, a, it's an addiction. It might be something you're addicted to. It's also sin. It's a rejection of God's standard. If that's any of us, there is nothing but grace that comes from the cross. But as Jesus spoke to the woman, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. That might mean take every step necessary to get this under control. And in other teaching, Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. What he's saying is you take every means necessary 
to run and, from sin and to hate it. Experience his grace. Listen, some of us might be a conversation away from feeling a weight lifted off. There might still be practical ramifications for your sin. I, I don't know the situation, but I can tell you that the moment of true repentance, you are white as snow in front of your heavenly father. So here's the question. Are you engaged in sexual sin, whether by action, by thought, or by word? Here's the repentance. Lord, I'm engaged in behavior that is sinful and harmful to myself, others, and your church. Lord, I am viewing, thinking, or saying things that I should not. Here's the prayer. Lord, forgive me and change me through your Holy Spirit. Give me the strength to change what needs to be changed and to walk differently. I would add to that too. The prayer would be, and help me to experience the grace and the forgiveness that you've given to me. The Christian walks in love and then walks in purity. Thirdly, verse six, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. There's your third one. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. There's a few things at play here before we dive into it. First, what we're seeing, uh, it's the third, the walk in the light. Now, this would be we said another would be, would be walk in truth. There's two types of darkness here uh, that Paul is talking about. Uh, the first one he lays out is a darkness of doctrine or theology. Incorrect truth incorrect doctrine. He's calling that a darkness. Later on, he calls uh, darkness, uh, darkness of decision or darkness of action, sinful action. And so he's saying there's two types of darkness, right? Darkness of truth or darkness of knowledge and then darkness of action. These are both darknesses that need to be what he says then exposed. Now let's talk about this word exposed. Here's what this word does not mean. It does not mean publicly shame or shun. It does not mean uh, to condemn, right? This is not the job of the Christian, all right? It doesn't say that. Expose, what does it mean? It means to bring the full light of the gospel onto it. Now, the gospel is what? Good news. That means that when we expose something as Christians, we're bringing good news into the situation. Not guilt, not shame, good news. We're bringing good news. Good news of a better way. Good news of truth. It says walk in light or walk in truth. Now here's something else we have to know. And that's that Jesus did all of these things. He walked in love, he walked in purity, and he walked in truth. He also surrounded himself with people who were labeled the worst of sinners. So there must be a way to walk in uh, love, purity, and truth. 
because Jesus did it. Which means if walking in love, purity, and truth uh, means that you're never surrounding yourself with anyone who's a sinner or who messed up, then you're not doing it the way Jesus did. See, Jesus figured out a way to, um, to, he said, to be friends with, these, with those people, to be f- the friend of sinners, to, to eat with them, to sit down with them, not to isolate himself in a Christian bubble, but to, to know people but yet somehow not to partake or to partner with them. This is the quest that we're on. How do we surround ourselves with people who need the truth of the gospel? How do we show them love, but still expose darkness? This is what the Christian is called to. Paul actually says in another letter, in essence, he said, I would warn you more about being surrounded by unrepentant Christians than I would a non-Christian. He said, the unrepentant Christian, that's scary. That Christian, that person, their heart is cold and hard. But the, 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 the non-Christian, oh, engage. Engage in relationship, but, but bring the gospel with you as you do. First, to walk in light is to expose darkness of doctrine or theology. Uh, for this morning's purposes, we're going to call those wrong gospels. Wrong gospels. That we as Christians have a, uh, uh, an obligation to expose wrong gospel. Let me give you three. Three wrong gospels. The first one, we see these in the scripture, by the way. Um, the first one is a false gospel. A false gospel. Let me tell you what a false gospel is. Gospels that exclude or include anything other than Christ alone, faith alone, and grace alone. Said another way, any gospel that says Christ's death and resurrection are not essential to salvation. Any doctrine that adds human works to salvation, these are all darkness and ought to be exposed. Any gospel uh, that says, no, the, the death of Christ wasn't essential is darkness and a false gospel. Any gospel that says Christ's resurrection uh, wasn't actual, literal, and real is a false gospel. Paul, in another letter, uh, says if they teach a a darn gospel, he basically says, damn them. That's the word he uses, so that's what he says. He, He says that because that's what's happening. Their gospel is false said, in the light of the true gospel, that we are saved by grace alone, not works, by faith alone, by Christ's sacrifice alone. It is the only thing that saves us. Anything that includes or excludes anything else or or that stuff is a false gospel. Secondly, another wrong gospel is an anti-gospel anti-gospel. This would include any philosophy or teaching or doctrine or religion that denies Christ as the only path to salvation and instead attempts to unify different religions or philosophies and therefore dilute Christ. These are anti-gospels. In an attempt to bring unity They actually bring destruction because the gospel is lost and so therefore is the ability to experience salvation. We are not on the same team as other religions. They teach an anti-gospel aimed at sending people to eternal damnation and hell. 
There is no way around this. An anti-gospel is any religion. Islam is an anti-gospel. This is not just cultural differences or language barriers. It's an anti-gospel. And people who adhere to its practices go to hell. Any gospel that doesn't say Jesus and Jesus alone is an anti-gospel. We're not on the same team. We can't partner with that. We can't partake in that. We can't celebrate it. We can never celebrate people going to hell. These are anti-gospels. Thirdly, no gospels. A no gospel. This may be Satan's best and most used tactic right now. A no gospel says religion is useless. Making absolute truth statements is useless. The problem humanity faces uh, can be fixed by worldly mechanisms, government, psychology, education. No, they can't. The world's deepest problem is the sin problem, and sin can only be fixed by salvation, and salvation only comes by grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone. Which means any line of thinking that says religion, all of this truth discussion, it's all unnecessary. We can, we can create our own solutions. It's wrong. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. We believe that doctrine or we throw out scripture. We believe that the gospel is the only hope for humanity, that the gospel is the only thing that can deal with our sin problem, or we throw out Scripture. False gospels, anti-gospels, no gospels, they are darkness, and they lead to permanent darkness. And so they have to be exposed have to be exposed for what they are, lies from the pit of hell, leading people to hell. And the Christian is given the incredible responsibility of bearing the light of the gospel. Before I move into the second one, here's the question. Are you too tolerant of wrong gospels? Repentance. Lord, I've been ashamed of this gospel as your power. I've incorrectly tolerated wrong gospels and let darkness reign where it ought not to. Prayer. Father, teach me how to boldly proclaim your gospel while still walking in love. That's why he said walk in love first. There's a way to walk in love and Bear the truth of the full gospel. By the way, 1 Corinthians 13 describes what love is, and nowhere does it say, just agree with what everybody else thinks. That's not part of the definition of love. We must expose darkness. Secondly, in this one. It says, walk in light, expose darkness, not just the darkness of doctrine and knowledge, but also the darkness of sinful action. That where sin is present, then darkness is reigning. 
Even after we come to Christ, right? Uh, uh, we, we come to Christ, we're his, and, and we've probably experienced this in life where you know you have a path to walk down, and sometimes you choose the dark path that leads in uh, the, the path of sin, and, and it leads to darkness. Or you can choose the path of light, the path of obedience, the path of purity, path of holiness. We're to expose darkness of sinful action. Paul says in here, it's shameful even to talk about what happens in secret or the sin that happens that leads to darkness. This whole thing, this whole passage is a dark versus light, impurity versus purity, unwise versus wise, foolish versus understanding, sleep versus awake. One point he even says wine versus the spirit. It's a contradiction, one way or the other. Here he says there's sinful action and it must be too exposed. He goes on to say, don't partner in sinful action. And then he goes even later, says, don't even be a part of it. What does he mean there? What does he mean when he says, don't even be a part of sinful action? Because again, Jesus hung out with sinners. So just being in the presence, obviously, isn't it? This isn't recorded in scripture, but I wonder if there was ever a moment when Jesus was hanging out at these dinners and he just got up and said, all right, we've crossed some kind of line. I gotta go now. Like, y'all have fun. I'll be back tomorrow. Love you. See you later. What does it mean to not be a part of? I'll be honest. Let me share a personal story. Part of this is just a personal conviction. I can't, part of it is a personal conviction that I can't place on anyone, right? Because once we start telling people what they can listen to on the radio and what they can watch on TV and what they can read, we get into a really weird place, right? That's why we have the Holy Spirit. I used to watch this TV show as a political drama. It was like my favorite show at the time. Watch like every episode, right? At parties at my house, we'd watch it. I was watching the pre-Christmas season finale once. And the last scene, last scene of the Christmas finale was um, the main character having an abortion on scene with the way in the manger playing. My heart grieved in that moment to make such a mockery, Right? Uh, of, of such an action. I, I turned it off and I've never watched that show again. Because in that moment, it was like the Holy Spirit was saying, you're, you're having a part of this by watching this now. So I said, all right, I'm out. I don't want to be a part of that. When the Holy Spirit prompts you, the feeling to walk away, the feeling to turn it off, the feeling that you know you're engaged too closely to whatever it is, that is the Holy Spirit. Listen, walk away, turn it off. Don't be a part. How do we do this? Paul goes on and he says, walk in wisdom and walk in the Holy Spirit. Walk in wisdom and walk in the Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own. We can only walk in the wisdom given to us through Scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way to walk in these ways. 
So if you're here today and you're like, I got to walk in love and I got to walk in purity, but uh, man, I've been walking in, in immorality for so long. I don't know if I can ever do that. Or uh, if you're thinking, uh, okay, I got I to gotta expose darkness. I don't know if I can stand up for truth. I'm not sure I'm strong enough to do that. I, I, don't, I don't know how to do that. How do I do it? You don't do it. You walk in the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. But you also, let me shift your perspective real quick. Because I think when we think of all of these things, we think of um, walking in love or, or particularly walking in purity or, or, or we think of walking in light almost like we're the bad guys. And, and the world has done such a good job to make, to make us think that, that our version of God's love or that walking in purity is weird or that um, walking in truth is wrong. Like, like we sometimes bought into a lie that, that somehow we're, we're the problem or, 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 or we're wrong as, as followers of Christ. That's a lie. So I uh, went on vacation down to um, Tennessee and we went into these caves, um, not just like random caves, it was a tour, right? And so we're on this little tour and they take you all the way back and then you get to the very end of the cave. And as you get to the very end uh, of the cave, they have this little like presentation and a projector and a little screen, whatever, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and then they're walking you through the history of the cave. And then when they get to the end, not the end, but near the end of it, they say, OK, and now we want to tell you about the founder of the cave and whatever his name was. Uh, and they go on to tell the story of the founder of the cave. And he was going through the cave. And uh, what happened is he was climbing on some of the rocks and he dropped his lantern. And it fell between the rocks. And so uh, in that moment, he, his, his only light was gone. And he was at this uh, certain part on a little rock formation, and he didn't know how long the gap was between the rock formation he was uh, on right now and between other rock formations and the one he had just come from. And it was complete, utter darkness. And so the founder of this cave laid there on that little rock for 72 hours in complete darkness. And when we were in there for like a minute, they turn off all of the lights. And uh, for the first time, like in, in my life, it was complete, utter darkness. Like you can't see anything. And the founder of that cave sat there for 72 hours. Later in his journals, he would write about how he, he had completely lost track of time. He didn't know if it had been an hour or a year that he had been sitting there for 72 hours. And so as he was laying there for 72 hours, um, he, he said, he writes in, his room, in the distance, he saw a lantern and he heard the voice of his friends. And the voice of his friends um, was a voice of rescue. And the light was the first light he had seen in 72 hours. Friends, when we walk in love, when we walk in purity, and when we walk in truth and in the light, we are bringing that light to people who are in that darkness. We are not the problem. Through Jesus, you are the solution. We bring redemption to a world in darkness. We can't be afraid of that. We can't be ashamed of that. Outside of the light of Christ, the truth of the gospel. All live in that darkness that I just described for eternity. And we are the bearers of light because of Jesus in us. And so if you are not walking in love, 
let him change you, but being melted by Christ's love for you. If you are not walking in purity, let the Holy Spirit change you and do so and experience his grace. And if you have been ashamed of the light, be empowered by the fact that you bring the hope of a world in darkness. Let's pray. Thanks for watching this video. If you want to learn more about our church, go ahead and click the link in the description or head on over to experienceredemption.com. Have a great week, guys.